That was an accident waiting to happen. That's happened before. Knock something right off. Bad news. We are in Matthew chapter 5 before we come to the table today. Continue our study in this great Sermon on the Mount. Jesus started with the Beatitudes. And then he said, if you have this new life in you, where you hunger for righteousness, you're a peacemaker, you rejoice even when you're persecuted. If that's who you are, you are going to be salt and light in the world that you live in. Preserving, giving flavor, and giving direction by the light that you are as you reflect your grace to those people that are around you. And he ends with verse 20, and Dr. Bookman says it's like he looks across because there's always this gaggle of Pharisees now that are dogging his trail and scribes and, and even from the other side of the, the aisle, the Sadducees, the Sadducees were liberal in their theology, the Pharisees were conservative, but they decided to come together to hate Jesus. And it's like Jesus points across the crowd and says, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. So the message is entitled, Greater Righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact, Lord, that you dress us in your righteousness. We have nothing to commend ourselves to you. And what we have, Lord, in your life is supernatural. The grace that you bestowed upon us for salvation, for life, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness, Lord. As your children, Lord, I pray that we not quench the Holy Spirit that our hearts would be open to love one another, to forgive one another, to live in kindness with one another, because that's a light to the world also. Lord, thank you for the fellowship you give in this church. What a joy. After every service, to watch people just fellowship and be an encouragement to one another. Lord, we, we recognize that as a gift you've given to your church. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit, Lord, that the flock might be fed and challenged and encouraged this morning. Lift our heads, Lord. Give us grace that we might be the people of God in our culture. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus now is going to explain his, the verse. He said, you need greater righteousness than that. Unless your righteousness exceeds that. Because we live in a culture of information and it's always been the way of humans to think that information equals correctness. We have the information. We have power. Just because you know to do right, right, doesn't mean you're without sin. In Romans, Paul writes to him that knows to do right and doeth it not to him is a sin. So having the right answer is not it. How many children grow up in church? And then there are all the Sunday school stories and all the Sunday school lessons. And they get to the point, I remember I was a teacher in a Christian high school for a little bit when I was a youth pastor in Rockford. And I was so excited about teaching through the book of Proverbs because I love Proverbs and sharing that with these people. And they said, eh, we already know this stuff. I'm like, what? you're a sophomore in high school. You have already attained to great wisdom. Amazing to me. But that's also what sophomores are like, right? They're know-it-alls. They're not freshmen anymore, so they're not on the bottom of the pile now. They've made it. 
you know it all. Well, you know, I said, well, that, that's kind of funny to me. But we went on and had a great semester together studying Proverbs. And they found out that there was more there than they imagined. You know, in the Christian life, we're challenged with things, aren't we? We have this propensity to make things comfortable for ourselves. So we make excuses and we make up our own roles. We know what the truth is. This last week, Dave uh, Mickelson sent out a... Uh, Michelson sent out a, uh, a, home, uh, a little uh, deal on Facebook, and it was, uh, it was really just pointed. It was, it was amazing. It's a story about an old baseball coach, coach for years, very successful coach, that was asked to speak at his coach's convention, and he showed up, and he had a home plate around his neck, and he did his speech and everything, and at the end, he says, I think you probably wonder why I have this home plate around my neck. I'm like, yeah. He said, how wide is this home plate? 17 inches. See, I didn't know that before. It's good information. I played baseball, but I never measured the plate. It's 17 inches. How wide is it for Little League? It's 17 inches. How wide is it for high school baseball player? It's 17 inches. How about for the pros? 17 inches. He said, but we have in life is we want to make the plate wider. So if you're little and you can't pass it, you can pass a strike, but just haven't, no, we don't do that. We change the rules. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what we do as humans. We just make ourselves feel comfortable and we give ourselves excuses and the Pharisees covered it up. See, their whole system was based on shame and secrecy. Shame because they want to make everybody else feel ashamed Jesus said they laid burdens on people they wouldn't lift with their little finger. And secrecy because they had to cover up themselves. Jesus saw through that facade. He said, you Pharisees are like whited sepulchers. On the outside, you look clean, but the inside, you're full of all manner of corruption and dead men's bones. The thing that we have to remember as believers is God sees past the facade we think that everybody else is looking at. God sees the heart. So you can fool a lot of people, but you're never going to fool the Lord. So confession is agreeing with God about our heart, isn't it? Now, when our, the framers of our Constitution came together, they gave us a nation that said, a nation has to have morals or it can't survive. It has to have right and wrong. And they based our constitution on the fact that man is evil. Right. That's what it's based on. That comes from the Bible. So we're going to have to have rules. And there's a balance of power because we know that absolute power absolutely corrupts. And so we have a balance of powers. Now, we came to a time in our nation a few years ago where you'd hear the lawyers say, you know, isn't it wonderful? The framers of our Constitution gave us this flexible document. You can stretch it to make it mean anything you want. Now, is that true? No, it's not true. Read the Federalist Papers. But that's what they took it to mean. And then as our nation began to degrade, there was a group of people who stood up and said, no, no, no. Here's what the Constitution says. The Supreme Court is supposed to Interpret things according to the Constitution, not how they feel about things or about the situation. So now those people are getting more honest, and they're saying, we need a new Constitution. 
That's what the Pharisees did. They saw the law. They understood the law. They couldn't keep the law, so they said, let's just make up some other laws. And so they determined, if you talk to a faithful Orthodox today, Jewish person, we talk to a scribe in Israel. They still have scribes. They write out the scrolls by hand. We said, well, what about what the Bible says here? What, what does it mean? Oh, no one can know what the Bible means. That's why we have rabbis. And the rabbis sit around all day discussing the possibilities and the variances that possibly could mean by this law instead of saying, thus saith the Lord. That's why they said when Jesus taught, he didn't teach like, teach like other people. He didn't cite anybody else. He said, thus saith the Lord. Now he's saying by himself, because he is the king, teaching the gospel of his kingdom. And he says like this, you've heard the ancients were told. In other words, your ancestors were told this about the law. You heard the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Well, that's a step down already if you don't realize that. When God gave capital punishment to human government after the flood, he told Noah, the reason murder is such high sin because man was created in the image of God. So whether it's an unborn infant or a grown man, to take another person's life with, with premeditated, premeditated forethought is murder. It's murder. And you will give account to God for taking another one's life by murder. But they say, oh, no, you're just, you're just liable to the court. Why? Have you noticed in our nation, maybe you haven't, that justice is no longer blind, that the, the blindfold has slipped, and now if you have more money, you can get more mercy. Mm -hmm. Just hire a better attorney. It's just a part of the conversation. Remember, we used to have a public attorney here. If you can't afford an attorney, you got this guy, and you didn't want him. He just wandered off his docket. So he got paid and then moved on. There have been really huge court cases that have come up here, and we just didn't have the money to prosecute all the, all the things, so we just justice wasn't necessarily done. But that's okay, as long as the rich people get their day in court, right? That's an abomination to God. But see, that's what was happening. Now you're liable to the court. So then you go to the court, and you've got, because that's what Pharisees were. They were lawyers. Paul was an attorney. He was trained at the feet of Gamaliel in the law. They were lawyers. So lawyers argued their case, and they'd cite this person and that person. You know, in our, in our court system today, it's no longer what the law says. It's what has been cited or what has been done in a previous case, so they can cite that. Therefore, that must be the interpretation. And so these guys were real good at saying, well, yeah, that was murder, but. And they did that with all of God's law. Well, it wasn't actually murder because Jesus said, you've heard it been said that you are liable to the court for murder. But I want to tell you something. This is God's heart. And when somebody writes a book, sometimes there's, you know, English teachers and as we're discussing things. Well, I think the author intended this, right? Now, they can say that about our Constitution, but you can go back and read, as I said before, the Federalist Papers, and you can see, as they wrote, why they were having the discussion they did to, to make the laws that they made and gave us the Constitution they gave. You ignore that, 
But here we have the God who gave the laws give us exactly what he meant by that. This is what God intends. And so Wade, you, you've heard of it say that if you actually go out and do the deed of murder, that you're going to be guilty of the court. The court's going to deal with you. But I say to you, verse 22, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Oh, wow. Now he's talking to people in, that will be in the kingdom. That's you and I. Because anger and getting even is just a part of life out there. But in the kingdom, this is what God intended about his law. This is God's righteousness. That if you're angry with your brother, God hates that. The Old Testament, there's these lists, you know, seven things that God hates. One of them, he that sows discord among brethren. Just a little word to bring anger so that brothers don't get along. God hates that. We see God's attitude about your anger because why? When we're angry with somebody and we justify that, we've become God. We hold our angry righteously because they did this to us. And we justify. They transgressed over here. Therefore, I can be angry. That happens in church all the time. Somebody doesn't appreciate your ministry. They ask you to do something you don't want to do. You get angry. You say, I am right. No, you're, you're, you're playing God. Wow. That's, that's heavy, isn't it? We think about every time we've been angry, that's sin. Then he goes on a little further. And he says... Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing. Now, if you have a King James Bible, it says raka. It kind of goes back and gives you the exact word. And that word raka expresses contempt for a man's head. Now, I know you moms have never said this to your kids, you stupid head. Maybe that's too old, but, you know, you just call somebody stupid. That's what you're saying. Idiot. Has that ever slipped past your teeth? Oh, no, not me. Really? When you were driving last week? I'm preaching to myself. There's some crazy drivers out there. And I'm just talking to me and the Lord, sometimes Christy. What an idiot. They're going to get somebody killed. Right? Oh, God's word. This is what Jesus said about what we say about those that are created in God's image. So if you just call people stupid, you're going to be guilty before the court. And if you call them good for nothing, you'll be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool. Now see, before you were saying stupid, you stupid head, talking about their head, their brain, their actions. Now it's talking about their character. You fool. You scoundrel. He says, not only are you going to be guilty before the court, the Supreme Court, now it says, you should be guilty enough to go to the fiery hell. What's he getting at? God's heart for the law. He's going to get to the last verse. You be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now listen, he's going to make us perfect. 
We're not sinless now, but he gives us this information that we might sin less because we love God. We have, we possess his life as believers. We can look at this and be convicted and say, God, I repent of that. Give me grace that I might walk in love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Wow, that's serious. That we just tell people, call people fools? That used to be kind of a funny thing on television. You know, there's Fred Sanford, uh, Red Fox show or something. Always calling each other fool. And then Mr. T was always calling people fool. And it was funny. But Jesus says, you don't do that. That's the world. That's the world. I'm watching this, this Israeli television program that is about the uh, Pharisees, basically modern-day Pharisees. And so I, I don't know what it's for. The government put it out. I guess it's so that non-religious people, which is 92% of who are, are not Orthodox Jews in Israel, that might surprise you, but it's a very small percentage that the rest of Israel, the secular people, might understand the Orthodox. I don't know. But it's amazing to me because there are these two brothers there and they're very religious. Every time they take a bite of food, it's like, we thank you, O Lord, that you bring forth bread from the earth. And every time they do something, there's a certain blessing. They're going through all this stuff. They study the Torah every day. They grow all through things. But the one brother, when everybody's pointing out some amazing you know, technology, whether it's jets that fly or the internet, which he uses all of it, he'll say, damn those unrighteous people. I don't know what that means. It's like, because they got to invent it and he didn't, I don't know, but he's cursing everybody all the time, this really religious person. And you see the hate that goes on even between brothers. This is what Jesus is talking about. It's still going on today. And the problem is it can go on with the children of God too. Everybody that's angry with his brother say, but I have reason. Mm. God says, no, you have my spirit. You have grace. Because see, anger soon turns to bitterness. And when it's bitterness, then you have all your reasons. Now, I don't know if you have heard, but um, I've heard people say, well, I don't have to forgive them until they ask for forgiveness. That's a lie from the devil. You need to have to deal with that in your own heart so that when you get opportunity, reconciliation is not a problem. You've already forgiven them because that's the way God treats us. In Romans 5, 8, it says, in why were yet enemies, enemy, enemies of God, when we were still sinners, God committed his love toward us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's to his enemies. You know, God loved you and me in spite of the fact we weren't going to turn out to be the Apostle Paul. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I'm not all that much and neither are you. And God loved us just as much as he loved the apostles. That's amazing. It's amazing. He said, therefore, don't let your relationships destroy your worship. When you're presenting your offering and all of a sudden you remember you have something against your brother. Your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there. 
Go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and give your offering. You see, to slander a creature made in God's image is to slander God. And every Jew knows that sin brought a breach in a relationship with God. So if you're saying these things and you're feeling these things, you're, there's a breach in your relationship with your brother or your sister, then your worship is worthless. You're a hypocrite. And you know, I'd like to say Satan climbs in the car on your way to church, but really it's not Satan. This is you. It's your flesh. How many times have you come to church and then... That's your chance to air your grievance or somebody does something wrong. They're late. They're not getting in the car or whatever. And so you go to church and somebody says something they shouldn't say. And so you, you go to church, get out of the car. And as soon as you see other people, oh, good morning. Hmm. It's a challenge. Some of the best years of our life is when we lived next door to the church. We didn't have to drive to church, right? Everybody just went. But Sunday morning before worship, and Satan brings it up, or your mind brings it up, and you have that angst in your heart about your brother, your sister, maybe your wife, your husband, your children. Maybe you're burying that grudge against somebody because they don't do things the way you should, and so you're righteous because you know all things, and therefore you're righteous in holding that grudge and just having that barrier between you and your brother. <laughs> you're not kidding God. You're wicked. You're wicked. Now let's put it in perspective. Jesus said, or, or Paul wrote by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4.32, and he said, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now I want to tell you something. I kind of raised my boys telling them because I wanted them to love the church. And there's a lot of junk that can go on in a live church. So I told them, you know, church is a full contact sport. It's kind of like football. You're going to get kicked in the shin. And you might get kicked in the shin by your own team sometimes. Maybe it's even on purpose. I don't know. Got to understand, that's what it is. You know, in football, if you're going to cry about getting kicked in the shin, don't play football. You're going to cry about, cry about cleat marks. Don't play football. That's kind of what it is. God uses our imperfections to challenge us. I mean, marriage is a great place for that, isn't it? Challenging us on, I say I love my wife as much as I love myself, but do I? Am I practicing that? See, he said, be kind, Ephesians 4, 32, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you of what? Well, I never sinned against, really? What are you guilty of? Every human being is guilty of the death of Jesus Christ, the execution of, the de of, the, of, of Jesus Christ. You're guilty of that. When Jesus hung on the cross, he hung there for my sins and your sins. And you can't tell me that your brother or sister, whoever you're holding this thing in your heart against, has equaled your sin like you have against God. That's a balance, isn't it? 
it ought to be very, very easier for us to forgive one another. So, well, you know, we, and we're just like the Pharisees. Well, I forgive them, but I got to hold this in. Not bitterness. You give it a different name. Self-protection, you know, it's being wise. And yet, you know, God goes right past all your facade. He said, corruption, that's not love. See, what we have to remember is love is not a feeling. If you're waiting for a feeling so you can feel good about loving everybody and loving your brothers in Christ, it's not a feeling. It's a decision. Just like God was a decision to love you, to choose you. So when we see that, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, and you say, well, I already did that. How come I feel this again today? Because your flesh wants revenge. And you feel so much better about it for an instant if you just got even by seeing them just take a nosedive. And then you can say, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> right? That's not how you're going to make it even. The only way you can make it even is when you love. And every time Satan comes back to say, remember this little bitterness? Remember what they did? Then you answer him by saying, listen, devil, you don't get the rent of this place anymore. This place belongs to Jesus, and that is under the blood. Because sometimes we, for, we think that if we just forgave once, it'll, we'll never feel it again. Oh, no, no, you've got a memory. The Bible says that God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more, but we remember, don't we? Forgive them. Now, reconciliation can't take place until you come together and they ask for forgiveness or you offer forgiveness, but you can live with a heart of forgiveness. To live with anything else is sin. And that's what Jesus is talking about here because these Pharisees were corrupt. They were hateful people. I mean, think about it. In John 8, they set a woman up so they can take her in the act of adultery. Where's the guy? And they bring her with rough hands to stone her and throw her down in front of Jesus and she's weeping and she's embarrassed and she's humiliated. The law says we should stone her. And Jesus says, yep. He who has no sin cast the first stone. And they go away, what? From the oldest to the youngest. Because the longer you live, the more sin you have. Listen, I need forgiveness every day. I need God's kindness every day in my life. And Jesus said, we're going to get there, Lord willing, in a week or so. As he's teaching his disciples to pray, part of that prayer is a warning. If you don't forgive others' offenses against you, God won't forgive you. I don't want to be there. How about you? He's talking to his children. Why? Because only his children listen. The world doesn't pay attention to that. Getting even is a way of life. I mean, they have sayings for it, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's from the world. We have a whole different level that we can play on, and that's called grace. Jesus said, listen, this is so important. You can't worship unless your relationships are right with your brothers and sisters. That's your family. First John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. They just go together. You can't worship when you're bitter. You can't worship when you're justifying anger. You can't worship by justifying sin. There's a breach. And to pretend like there's nothing wrong is sin. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we don't deserve it. Lord, give us grace that as you point out these breaches, Lord, even in our own home with the people we love the most, that you would give us grace, that we would just be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another because, Father, we each need your forgiveness in our life every day. Lord, as we gather around the table, reminded again that our righteousness is not our own. It's your righteousness. Father, that you made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might be dressed in your righteousness. So now, Lord, as we gather around the table, Lord, help us to remember, Lord, bring sin and hidden sin to our hearts that we might confess it. And we're so thankful that You've promised that if we confess our sin, if we agree with you about our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, Lord, make us a loving, even more and more a loving people that we easily forgive, that we are sensitive right away to the fact we're holding something back, Lord, that we recognize as a sin. Lord, grant us repentance that we might be that light, that reflection of your grace in our own culture. In Jesus' name, amen. It is our tradition to sing songs of praise and hymns and also, as the Bible instructs us, to use this time to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our own life. The Bible says there in 1 Corinthians 11, let each man examine himself and then let him take the bread and drink of the wine.